creepily cleaned your house while you slept oh my god i'm so glad you did it <laughs> i felt like a crackhead mm-hmm. and i was like why am i doing like i am obsessed with getting all of this cleaned yes and garrett was helping me mm-hmm. and then uh like <laughs> brad and sean and cj were just sitting on the couch holding each other of course and uh i was like i, just, I feel like i have to get this done <laughs> and then i got home and i was like why was i acting and i was like oh i had two of those fucking espresso oh martinis martinis at midnight so of course at 2 30 i'm like let's clean everything i'm so glad you did i I felt like a creep i'm creep creep away uh i woke up the next day and i was hungover not the worst hungover but i was just like fuck i don't want to have to go clean up all this stuff and brad probably left his cheese fountain uh and like john got up a little before me and usually i can hear him starting to clean and i was like oh wow he must be super hungover because he's not making any noise i bet he's on the couch and i finally got up and came out and it was like reverse christmas where (laughs) everything was just perfectly clean just like no shit anywhere no presents no nothing it was like i was on crack it made me so happy Ugh. thank you that's the only gift i could ever really ask for (laughs) like yeah clean up your friend's house after a party if you want to be the nicest person in the world or if you feel like you're on crack and just have to do something our house isn't messy right now but if you i don't know feel like scrubbing something i'm sure we can find if you ever want to ingest a bunch of caffeine at midnight come on over if it happens again please i love that it was from those espresso martinis too which makes us sound like the biggest douches for being like yeah we drink espresso martinis yeah but our australian friends robin shana hi uh made them and they're delicious and they're so they're so good so we drink them whenever they make them for us that makes sense no matter what time of night it is yeah i mean the biggest problem with a martini is the sleepies that you get after them Mm -hmm. and that's true I never remember that was a lunch drink, fixed. like the whole three martini lunch. Well, because then it's like a challenge, right? <laughs> then it's like a Just, game. Yes. It should be an espresso martini, so then it would make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I want to pass out after everything I drink always, pretty much. <laughs> so there's that. I'm just sleepy in general. Yeah, mm-hmm. just give me a reason. Mm-hmm. To pass out? Yeah. Me too. I'll go lay down. I'm tired. I'm always tired too. Uh, welcome to Weird Brunch. Oh my God, where we Is won't that be tired. <laughs> Is it loud? You can turn it down over there. Oh, Are your know. headphones loud? I don't know. Yeah, you I'm don't fine. know. I'm mostly okay. startled. I'm just easily startled. All we right. have uh, Karina and I have headphones on for the first time ever yeah. in recording this podcast. So, how do we feel about this? I feel some type of way. Yeah, I. It's good. I, I can't believe you've been doing this our, the whole time. Well, someone's got to listen because our levels have to be somewhat even, and they're not usually. And mm. I apologize for that. It's my fault. But maybe this—it's a group effort now, right? Yeah. And we're talking on these new microphone stands, also yes. that my sister got me for Christmas, and we're all sitting straight up except for Lisa. I've yeah. been beat up, man. If you yeah. hear us having slightly better breath control. It's because our posture Ooh. has been improved. 
It's true. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, that's good. Welcome to Heavy Breathing Brunch. Mm. I'm Lisa Friedrich. I'm Karina Magyar. I'm Whitney Lamond. We would have so many more listeners if we had called this Heavy Breathing Brunch. Probably. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) What were we thinking? Mm. Rename it. (laughs) New year, new us. Yeah, new new everything. Mm -hmm. Fuck it. Do y'all have resolutions? No, I just want to get as skinny as I can before I get married. That's my resolution. Hell yeah. Like, you have all uh, the time in the world. I, I don't. <laughs> you know, like, There's something very like, I don't know, 19th century about that. Right. I just feel like I feel like I just read that in a Jane Austen novel. I just want to be as I just want to get as skinny as I can before I get married. It's true. Yeah. It's I mean, yeah. It's who for doesn't, the pictures, yeah. you know, yeah. like. The yeah, pictures like last forever. Literally, as soon as the f- pictures are taken, I'm going to mm-hmm. eat that entire I'm fucking eat cake. So much. Cake. Yes. The pictures I want to see, everybody eating so much fucking cake as yeah. soon as the pictures are taken. Mm-hmm. That's the picture I want. Yeah, but the picture you want to show your, your kid, like, look how hot your mom was. Oh my God. My kids, <laughs> they know. <laughs> <laughs> There's not going to be any fool in them. They know how hot mom is. They, Duh. Yeah. they know they know what it really looks like. Oh my god. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Look how skinny your mom was. Yeah, that one day. Yeah, right, mom. Photoshop. Okay. That too. Mm. Oh shit, we could just Photoshop it all. No, that's why we'll be more impressive. Because our kids yeah. will be like, this shit wasn't photoshopped. But their friends will be like, yeah, we can tell. <laughs> Are you going to tell them like Photoshop yeah. hadn't been invented yet or something? Mm-hmm. Not on your phone. I mean, I don't know how much Naro is going to edit me. Mm. Hopefully not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's the goal to not be. Whatever. <sighs> Who's going first? So your resolution should not be edited. Yes. Don't fucking edit me. <sighs> Hashtag no filter. Yeah. Love it. Mm. Um, I should first. bleep the fucking out of it. <laughs> Anyways, yes, please do. Um, cool. I want to talk about uh, Dorothy Eady, or is she? I love that. Um, so she was uh, born in January of 1904 in Blackheath, London. She was an only child born into an Irish lower middle class family. Her father was a master tailor. But again, if you were Irish in London in 1904, you're probably uh, still making less money than another master tailor. Mm -hmm. Um, So she was born in 1904. In 1907, she fell down the stairs in her home. She was knocked unconscious, <laughs> and then what? the doctor came through and declared her dead when he arrived. Oh, oh, Irish doctors killing it. Falling well, we down don't the know. stairs to conclusion. We don't know that the doctor was Irish. I bet he was. Well, he wasn't a master doctor, that's for sure. Because game recognized game. Mm-hmm. Um, master something. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> Doctor Masturbator, come on in. <laughs> uh, I'll make house calls. <laughs> um so one hour later after he declared her dead he returned to prepare her body and she was sitting up in bed playing oh wait you prepare her body for the funeral Mm -hmm. and okay well Mm -hmm. not for the funeral because that bitch was not dead she was not um but some things were different uh wait so she was she just got to her bed and was playing 
Like nobody noticed? Well, her. I mean, her Her mom was oh, like, oh, she my. knew. She's yeah. fine. Okay. <laughs> I just pictured them like she fell down the stairs, bodies there, doctors like she dead, and everybody just went about their business yeah. and left the body oh, there on well, the stairs. It'll be all right for yeah. a few days, right? <laughs> the doctor will get it. I don't feel like picking it up. <laughs> we don't have a maid, you know? Thank God I needed to run errands and didn't know what yeah. to do with her. <laughs> um, I did not want to go to the hospital Guess today. I don't need a sitter. <laughs> Debbie, stay home. Um, so one hour what? later, uh, returns. She's sitting up. She's in bed. She's playing. But some things were different. So when she came back from the dead or, you know, got her consciousness back or whatever happened, mm-hmm. um, she had an accent that was <laughs> very, very different. Um, oh, I know about this. She then started having dreams of living in a huge columned building and started demanding that she be taken home. She's three? She's three. Got it. <laughs> oh, does this check out for a three-year-old? Everything checks out for a three-year-old. They're crazy. Um, so she she starts like, this doesn't go away either. Like she's constantly like, I need to be taken home. This is like hot trash where I'm at. This is not family. I don't know where I am. Um, hot trash. Hot trash. <laughs> And then her Sunday school teachers asked her parents that she stay away from class because she had compared Christianity to the heathen ancient Egyptian religion. Uh, Okay. Wait, so she's saying that Christianity is like... Yeah, she's like, like oh, okay, so what y'all are talking about is similar to this one thing. That's, oh, she's like religion. Yeah. Oh, and that's a religion. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Oh, about y'all it. are talking about God. Well, here's some other gods that I, I know. They got yeah. cooler ones. You know the dog one, the bird yeah. one. Bird yeah, the one's bird hot. one's cool. Yeah. Um. So she was expelled. Uh. So so after she's like kicked out of Sunday school, she was then expelled from Dulwich Girls School after she refused to sing a hymn that called on God to curse the swart Egyptians. What? refused Why did and they were like you're expelled what hymn is that i don't where there's like know. some grudge against the egyptians what year is this happening currently this is like uh 19 uh i think it's still 07 okay so very early 19 yeah she's like three okay. or four throughout a lot of this beginning part Got it okay um yeah, she was three. So, okay. Her regular visits to Catholic Mass, which she liked because it reminded her of the old religion, were terminated, ended, deceased, done, ma'am, after an interrogation and a visit to her parents by a priest. So the priest was like, ma'am, no. No okay. child. When she was four years old, her parents brought Edie to... An, ex- an exhibition <clears throat> at the British Museum in London, famous for its Egyptian Antiquities Collection. And she lost her goddamn mind. <laughs> uh, she looked at, uh, she saw a photograph in the New Kingdom Temple exhibit uh, where she goes, like immediately she was like, that's my home, but where are the trees? Where are the gardens? <sighs> the temple was that of Seti the first the father mm-hmm. of ramses the great and now she only wants to wear seti pajamas to school every day <laughs> um and then she later realizes that this is the place that in her dreams like the big columns and all of that okay 
she begins running through the museum, kissing the feet of statues, crying out loud and shouting, these are my people. <laughs> I love oh this little girl. She's four. I would probably kidnap this little girl. Mm-hmm. Be like, I, where do you need to go? I, I love you. She sounds like she belongs on TV. Yeah. She's, it's just, just like honey Billy boo-boo. on the street. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so after... Yeah, <laughs> these are my people, <laughs> little white girl. Um, <laughs> after <laughs> this trip, she took every opportunity to visit the British Museum rooms. She eventually met from Ireland. No, she's oh. in London the whole time. Oh, she's in London the whole time. They're just they're Irish. just Irish. Oh, that like, can happen. Like racially, got it. Yeah, we've got New Yorkers here. We accept them. <laughs> Some of them. Yeah. <laughs> um. She eventually met E.A. Wallace Budge, ugh, who was taken, whatever. He was like, oh, cool. You're into this? Check out these hieroglyphs. And she was like, sick. I can get this really fast. And she was like, I'm just remembering them. I'm not learning this from scratch. Like, she was getting them very quickly. Okay. Um, and then after a close escape during a bomb raid in World War One, she moves to her grandmother's house in Sussex. And she continued her study of ancient Egypt at the Eastbourne Public Library. So she's, like, not as close to the museums as she wants to be, but she still, like, goes to the public library often. Mm -hmm. When she was 15, she described a nocturnal visit from the mummy of Pharaoh Seti I. Wait, specifically the mummy of Mm -hmm. Pharaoh? Not like, Mm. okay, Mm -hmm. like a physical visit? Mm -hmm. Like a house call? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Her behavior, like a scary movie. Mm-hmm. Her behavior, coupled with sleepwalking and nightmares, led her to be incarcerated in uh, sanatoriums several times. Oh man! However, no treatment ever caused the dreams to go away, and no amount of doctors could convince Edie that she was wrong in any way. So, uh, God knows what they tried, because fuck. The early 20th century. Yeah, I don't even really want to hear that roster. Um, But she was like, no, I'm still good. Like, sh- yeah. put me in the shock chair six more times. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> um, she left school at 16 and visited museums and archaeological sites around Britain um, because her father, Master Taylor, I guess, had gotten into the booming cinema industry. Mm. And so he was like going around to these museums and archaeological sites being like, hmm art and uh then Edie became a part-time student at plymouth art school uh and began to collect affordable egyptian antiquities oh yeah affordable because she's fucking 16 okay that come this come yeah (laughs) yeah Uh, i'll take a meatball and that uh (laughs) egyptian antiquity yeah Yeah. and that cat um (laughs) So this comes to play in a second. I know this sounds like a random whatever, but when she was at that school, she became part of a theater group that on occasion uh, performed a play based on the story of Isis and Osiris. She took the role of Isis uh, and sang the lamentation for Osiris's death. Lamentation? Lamentation? Lamentation. Mm -hmm. Okay. To lament. Look, I'm not here to have some dumb accent because I fell down some stairs. Uh... (laughs) At the age of 27, she began working in London with an Egyptian public relations magazine. She wrote articles, drew cartoons, and it reflected her political support for an independent Egypt. 
Oh, that's right. It was British at the time. See. Si. Oh. During this period, she met her <laughs> little revolutionary. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> glanced up to the visual. Whitney's throwing horns Woo! up. Yeah. Uh, so during this time, she met her future husband. Uh, he was an Egyptian student in uh, London. And his name was Iman Abdel Magid. Uh, she continued to correspond with him when he returned to Egypt. And in 1931, she moved to Egypt. And he, uh, sorry. She, in 1931, she moved to Egypt. And Iman had become a teacher of English at that time. And he asked her to marry him. On arriving in Egypt, she kissed the ground and announced she had come home to stay. Okay. The couple stayed in Cairo, and her husband's family gave her the nickname Bulbul, which is Nightingale. I don't know why the fuck. Bulbul is just not a bad one. Maybe she just had like a really screechy voice. Well, so Mm -hmm. his family didn't really like her that much. Um, I was going to be like, that that nickname seems pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. But if I, yeah. They're, yeah. I mean, they were a little put off by the, like, white girl with the racist fetish. mm -hmm. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. (laughs) So uh, they have a son. Their son's name is Seti. Oh, God. Uh, Which then brought Dorothy Eady's name Alm Seti out and like that. So it's mother of Seti. So she's Alm Seti. Okay. So and that is pretty much how she is known until she's dead is Alm Seti. That's okay. Like people, re, people Alm respect Seti. the fuck out of this woman who fell at three and came to with like it, a love for Egyptian culture. Well, as if she was from Egypt. Mm, that too. Um, <clears throat> It was a matter of respect to call like, like you would be uh mother of whatever your son's name is. Yeah. None of us here have sons. There's so plenty weird. of women out there who have like Michael's mom mm-hmm. oh. as their mm-hmm. yeah. emails or bumper stickers. That's my <sighs> stepmom's AOL. So yeah. Her son's name plus mom. Oh. I hate that. It's Omsetti at AOL.com. Yeah. Oof. Um keep your identity and have children. I mean you could do both. It's hard. So I don't know yet. <laughs> we'll we'll figure it out. So uh, so she's hanging out in Cairo, and she. Sorry. <laughs> don't give us headphones if You're you don't welcome. want us to get distracted. I can hear my heart. Um, <laughs> it stopped beating minutes ago. Uh, so then she runs into George Reisner's secretary. Um, and he, she comments on her ability to charm snake. <laughs> it fell out into my face. It's just so funny <laughs> that you've spent well over a year yes. yelling at us for that shit. Yes. And here you go. It's payback time. It is. Um, oh, there, I'll lower it. There so <laughs> she meets this uh, archaeologist uh, secretary who comments on her ability to charm snakes. So <laughs> okay. Omsetti can charm those snakes, bitch. And told her that spells on such powers were in early ancient Egyptian literature. Um, she then, Omsetti visits the 5th Dynasty Pyramids of Unas. Um, <laughs> so 
she's starting to like really kind of feel even more connected with everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so her marriage barely lasts two years. <laughs> well, she didn't feel connected to Mm-mm. something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he took a job teaching. His snake wasn't that charming. Oh, you know? I like that. That was good. Got her. Yeah. Got him. Um, she was she was adamant about staying in Egypt and he so there's two different ways that I have discovered this one of them was that he took a job to teach in Iraq so he was like I'm done Mm -hmm. and the other one was that he was forced to move to Iraq I think the first one's probably more likely oh no I have to yeah I really I just have to because I accepted this job that I (laughs) said I wanted um so that so him having to move coupled with the the fact that his family never approved of bull bull um she because while she was there she continued to report these apparitions and out-of-body experiences uh and that caused a lot of friction with the upper middle class family she had married into they were like okay bitch (laughs) she's crazy yeah she's annoying um she her obsession with egypt uh also became more than he could handle as an Egyptian. Mm-hmm. That's how... Wow. Mm-hmm. White women. Um, <laughs> so during her early period in Egypt, she reported nighttime visitations and an apparition of Horus. She, he slowly dictated to her over a 12-month period the story of her previous life. The story starts... Um, oh, it took up about 70 pages of cursive hieroglyphic text. Oh, what the fuck is that? That's there's cursive hieroglyphic. Yeah, it's all the, the pictures are slanted. All the glyphs are slanted bit. and yeah. touch mm-hmm. each other at the just bottom. Just a little mm-hmm. class. Just that little mm-hmm. owl's little yeah. butt touches the snake's the little, little butt. extra swirlies yeah. left. And right. Um, <laughs> Google it. Okay. It described <laughs> the life of a young woman in ancient Egypt called Bentrist. Bentrist. Do it. Bentrist. Mm who had reincarnated in the person of Dorothy Eady. Ben Thresh, uh, which is Harp of Joy, is described in this text as being of humble origin, her mother a vegetable seller, and her father a soldier during the reign of Seti I. What? Mm-hmm. When she was three, her mother died. When she was three? And she was placed in the temple of Kalm el Sultan, because her father couldn't afford her, which is very sad. <laughs> I can't afford you. You go in this temple. <laughs> Better than alternatives. Um, that's what that's what Edie's parents tried to do with her, but they kicked her out for not singing the hymns. That's true. <laughs> Get your right. ass in that temple. <laughs> um, there she was brought up to be a priestess. So she's in the temple. She's becoming a priestess. When she was 12 years old, uh, the high priest asked if she wished to go out into the world or stay and become a consecrated virgin. virgin. Mm, the virgin? best kind. The consecrated yes. version of a virgin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, she didn't really fully understand what that meant, but she also didn't have an alternative. So she was like, What's yeah, it? okay. But she didn't understand. Did they not explain it to her in cursive hieroglyphics? Dog, if somebody had come up to me at 12 years old and said, like, you want to be a virgin the rest of your life? I'd be like, yeah, whatever. Sure. Okay. What, that or go is, check out these streets and do some street living? Is consecrated True. virgin, what does 
that entail? You're just like, yeah, I take the it's chastity like an, oath. Yeah, it's like an oath with your religion, basically. They like a nun. Yeah, so like when something's consecrated by a priest or whatever. Right, okay. Like this marriage is consecrated sure. by... She wouldn't devil. Like, circumcised mm-hmm. or something to like seal the deal. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, cool. they weren't. I don't know that they were circumcising women in Africa at that time. I don't know. Um, Give it a few years. Google it. Just checking because I'll stop making fun of it if she got like snipped. No, she yeah, didn't. Okay, no, she didn't. We can we right. can keep on that road. Um, during the next two years, she. So during the next two years after she took her vows, she learned her role in the annual drama of Osiris's passion and resurrection, uh-huh. a role that only virgin priestesses consecrated to Isis could perform. Uh-huh. Hello. What was she doing at fucking 16? Yeah. Okay. What a coincidence. She did the one play from Egypt. There, <laughs> that cannot be the, have you Elizabeth Taylor? <sighs> One day, Seti the First visited and spoke to her. They became lovers, eating the quote uncooked goose, which also, is so much for being a consecrated virgin, right? If she was just like, yeah, we're lovers, if she's just gonna eat the first yeah, uncooked like, goose that she sees. I mean, this damn Seti the First is a big dude. He's Pharaoh. He's hot shit. He's literally God. Yeah. So yeah. if God comes to you and says, "That's right. If you're consecrated, you're consecrated no. in the eyes of God." And I guess he showed her well, the eye of God. She was consecrated yep. to Isis. He said he's, you know, Pharaoh. Doesn't that count? Isn't he like all the gods or some shit? Maybe not. Sorry, but- I. I forgot. Isis is also Isis. Um. <laughs> um. So yeah, so yeah, this hot shit dude is like, hey, what's up? I'm God. Do you want to suck my dick? And she's like, sure, whatever. Um, but I don't. It wasn't mouth. To, I don't. It may have been whatever. So the uncooked uncooked goose is the ancient Egyptian term that is basically eating the forbidden fruit. And I just I love eating the uncooked goose so much more mm. than forbidden fruit. Do you know what I learned this morning? Tartar. What? This is true. I'm sorry. This is a digression, but. It turns out if geese are attacking you, mm-hmm. the way to stop it is to pick up the largest goose and they will all run away. How the fuck do you spend your mornings? <laughs> Learning Picking trivia. Picking up geese, man. <laughs> um, I just think that's the best thing I've ever learned. That's pretty good. <laughs> that's the best thing? Yeah, you just pick up the biggest goose and they all fucking hightail it. That's fair. It um, sounds kind of hard to do. Yeah, um, I so, mean, this is only for extreme duress. Like, if all the geese are getting you, yeah. you're swarmed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm covered. Uh, <laughs> when Bentresht became pregnant, she told the high priest, who was the father, uh, and the high priest informed her that the gravity of the offense against ISIS was <laughs> this didn't this did not age well. Was so terrible that death would be the most likely penalty at a trial. And she was like, mm, uh-uh, I'm not going to go up to this trial to face your fucking scandal, bitch. So she killed herself. Uh. Mm. In 1935, Seti, who Is may or may lady. not be Ben Thrist as well, as well as Dorothy Eady, mm-hmm. she moves to Nazlat al-Saman near the Giza pyramids with her son. This is where she meets Salim Hassan 
And uh, Salim Hassan was like he, all the Giza stuff. Like he did did all of that shit. Um, okay, he's the OG. Yeah, and everybody was like, "Holy shit, you're the first woman that's ever done anything. Like, be a part of this, and you're fucking badass, and mm-hmm. you know everything." So when he died, she immediately is employed by Ahmed Fakhri, um, and he was doing a Dasher pyramid research, and that was terminated in 1956. So from like. 35 to 56 she's just doing all of this archaeological that's cool shit. yeah yeah um and then so then she's obviously unemployed and in march of 1956 um she's 52 she goes to abidos sure um this has a special significance for her because it's where she believed benthrist had lived and served in the temple of seti so that's where the temple of seti is she had made short pilgrimage to the site before. Now she's like, let's fucking, if you're going to fuck, fuck, do you come? Let's just go. And at one of these trips to the temple, um, before, I guess one before that she moved, uh, a chief inspector for the antiquities department was like, mm, bitch. And so he asked her to stand at particular wall paintings in complete darkness and she was instructed to identify them based on her prior knowledge as a temple priestess. So, hey, come stand in front of the shit in the dark that you've mm-hmm. never seen and tell me what it says because you're telling me you have seen it. And um, I don't understand how she's like being in the dark. Well, because how is she supposed she sh- to have seen it? Like know that what it is she's looking at. Just based That's on like point. where it is on the wall, right? Uh, like oh, yeah. on the location yeah, of, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say like I, yeah you could come in here and yeah. do that like is it in braille you know like, right I mean I'm sure it is because it's carved in you could figure yeah. it out but she wasn't that's I don't think she was anyways that's true um, anyway she fucking nailed it even though the um, painting locations had not yet been published at this time meaning like they knew where it was mm-hmm. and they could tell her like okay what's this over here on this wall but they hadn't like put it out in the public so looks like this is all real Hmm. Mm. um (laughs) the temple of seti was a place of like peace and so you know security um she claimed that the temple had a garden when she was benthrist at some point this temple had a garden and her descriptions as a young girl were not believed by her parents but when she was living in abidos the garden was found exactly where she said it would be found. Excavations uncovered a garden that matched her descriptions perfectly right in the place where she said it was. Wow. Hmm. Hmm. Every morning and night, she would visit the temple to recite the prayers for the day. Um, on birthday, on the birthdays of Osiris and Isis, she would uh, observe the, abs- uh, like the, like the food, whatever, and she would bring offerings of beer, wine, tea, biscuits, all that shit. Hmm. Um, the she also would recite the lament of Isis and Osiris that she learned when she was sixteen. Sure, her hit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. She number one mm-hmm. turned one of the temple rooms into a personal office where she carried out her work <laughs> and befriended a cobra and put her feet on the desk. That's fun. <laughs> whom she fed on a regular basis, to much alarm of the temple guards. Oh. She's wild. Yeah, she's a snake charmer. I'm picturing two buffoons and fezes like from Aladdin as the temple guards. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. Is that dang it, Disney? Yes, I was. I was thinking um, Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, There you go. 
So she reaches the age of 60 in 1964 and she's faced with a mandatory retirement. That's just like the age where they're like, you're 60. You don't know shit about fuck. Get out of here. Um, but she she went to Cairo for like a day and she was like, nah, fuck that. Went back to Abidos. And the antiquities department was like, all right, all right, five more years. Right. <laughs> five more years. And then she retired in 1969. She Nice. Yeah. She, uh, hell yeah. Uh, she worked part-time as a consultant and like a tour guide for the Temple of Seti, which like how badass would that have been? Totally. Get to, a tour from the yeah. reincarnated from mistress. His, mistress. Yeah. Priestess mistress. mistress. What's that? Is that the um Seti? <laughs> Um, so let's see oh in 1972 she suffered a mild heart attack and in the aftermath decided to sell her old house and move into a zareba a ramshackle single room made of reeds Damn. This bitch rules to me. I wish um, I wish it was like she suffered a mild heart attack and when she came to she was suddenly, you know, the queen of Right. P- Back France. to being someone yeah. else. Just a three year old British girl. Yeah. Irish <laughs> British girl. Um uh, let's see. Ahmed Soliman, the son of a one time keeper of the Temple of Seti, built her this uh Zareba. It's not a zebra. And he built it for her adjacent adjacent to his family home. And then she moved in and lived as part of his family, which is so fucking sweet. She reported in her diary that on first moving into her new home, Seti the first appeared and carried out a ritual that consecrated the habitation, bowing reverently towards the small statues of Osiris and Isis. She kept in a small shrine niche. Hmm. During this visit, Seti described the one and only time he saw the god Set, his namesake. As a prelude to meeting Set, he fasted for 10 days before entering the chapel of the Great Strength, where the god appeared with, quote, a beauty that cannot be described. On sensing that he was the spirit of all of the cruel, that was all cruel and evil, Seti fled to the sound of mocking laughter from the god. Never to serve set again. <laughs> Dramatic. Seriously. Um, he counseled that, and I did like this, one should not serve an evil being even if it appears to have good or useful attribution or function. Huh. Yeah. PSA. Um, <laughs> so Seti made several visits during the following weeks during which he gave his opinion of the Greek story of Atlantis. <clears throat> A Cretan had once told him that the island of the Aegean were the tops of mountains from a great land that had sunk into the Mediterranean. Just food for thought. I think if anyone knows, it's probably him. Um, Alm said he had once said, death holds no terror for me. I'll just do my best to get through the judgment. I'm going to come before Osiris, who will probably give me a few dirty looks because I know I've committed some things I shouldn't have. Because the Muslims and Christians wouldn't let a heathen be buried in their graveyards, Om Seti built her own underground tomb with a false door. Nice. nice. Yes. Yeah, that's fucking cool. This fucking 70s, 80s ass year old bitch is out here, 70s, is out here building her own tomb. On April 10th, 1981, she gave away her two cats, 
As her condition deteriorated, on April 15th, she received a letter from Olivia Robertson confirming that Almsetti had been enrolled in the Fellowship of Isis, an interfaith spiritual movement focused on the goddess. On March 23rd of 1981, oh wait, never mind, <laughs> take that out. On April 21st, 1981, Almsetti died, Om died uh, in Abydos. The local health authority refused to let her be buried in her tomb. Bullshit. Why? It's the health issue. Of what? Of uh, Abydos. <laughs> so a bummer. That makes me mad. Yeah, she was interred in an unmarked grave facing <coughs> the west in the desert outside the Coptic cemetery. Let's go get her. Let's go dig her up and put her where she wanted to be. I kind of want to. Yeah. I really like... Like, she... There, there was a lot of... I, She'll come back as a mummy. I know that was an hour long, but I left a lot of shit out where her, like, helping everybody, like, find all of this shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, she did so much. And then she just is buried in the sand. I mean, I'm kind yeah, of like... Uh, part of me wants to believe. But also, like, part of me thinks maybe she just figured out how to get people to take her the fuck seriously in the 1930s and then just stuck with it. Right. You know, like, somehow, like, this bitch crazy, but let her do what she wants, mm -hmm. gave her more access to being the scholar she clearly had a passion to be than, like, oh, I just really want to. Yeah. You know? But I'm a woman. But how's I'm a woman. I can't go to yeah. college. Okay, but how's that four-year-old looking at that damn... Well, no, that's and when being she like, learned. Where's that garden? Oh, well, yeah, yeah, all those like apocryphal stories. But like, okay. <laughs> How dare look. you? Does it sound like that every time I hit my hand on the table? Yeah. I am so sorry. How <laughs> often do you hit your hand on the table? I don't know. I A feel lot? like I do it all the time now. Yeah. No, I mean. You can hear it. The little proofs. what? Nothing. Could be proofs. And maybe she really is the reincarnation, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm almost, I would be more impressed if it was more like she was just playing along with the game that allowed her to have access to do her career. Right. How does she know her game at three years old? No, no, no. Like at three years old is when she realized, oh, because she was just playing around like a three-year-old. But that's when she realized, oh, like if I just keep saying I'm from Egypt, they'll let me study Egyptian stuff and I'm really into Egyptian stuff. How do you know she was into? How, how do you know what you're into at three? Oh, the three-year-olds latch onto weird shit. And in the 1900s, Egyptian stuff was everywhere. It was like a craze because that's when they first started like raiding all of the tombs and stuff and bringing it back to London. It's like kids are kids that age get in super into dinosaurs, you know. Okay, so if a if I if a three year old falls down the stairs and wakes up and says, "Take me home, I'm a brontosaurus," <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and they stuck with that story they for life, they will become a brontosaurus. In the course of that life, read a lot about brontosauruses and became the world's foremost expert on brontosauruses. People probably in the twentieth century, when they were prejudiced and stupid, have let that kid just kept doing what they do. They're at least an extra in a. <laughs> in a Jurassic Park. I mean, they tried to shock therapy the love of Egypt out of her, and it didn't work. Yeah. She clearly had a passion. She has a point. Well, mm -hmm. or she was. I Or you, she was really, yeah. Because she was. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. is it me or is it you next? Oh, I'll do mine. Okay. I would love I, I, for you to do yeah. this. Because I, 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 I already Lisa. don't believe it. Okay, well, this is this is actually for you. I picked this one. Oh. It's, yeah. it's breaking news. Um, so we don't have a resolution on this one. Um, but I guess 
Over the last two or three months, there have been swarms of drones mysteriously flying over eastern Colorado and western Nebraska. Delivering drugs? Just not doing anything. Just zipping around in swarms. Mm -hmm. How close is it to Denver? This is far from Denver. It's like in the middle of nowhere. This is between Denver and Lincoln. It's just that border region that's all farmland in the upper. Aliens. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So, <coughs> and Lisa's done for the night. Everybody is like kind of in the in the region is sort of complaining about it because like they're farmers. There's like fourteen thousand people who live in this area that's the size of the Texas Panhandle. You know, it's a huge area, and there's nobody there, and they're right. all like, "Why are there drones everywhere? This is ridiculous." Honestly, that's also just the Texas Panhandle. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Um, so they're complaining about it, and then like people are like, "Whatever, you know." Whatever. You guys are just paranoid. These are the same people who think the aliens are sticking things in their butt. But then, like, they start looking into it. And, yeah, there's these drones flying out there every night. And nobody knows who's flying them. Mm. Nobody. So it actually becomes a political issue. Like, the governor of Colorado is like, no, seriously, who the fuck is flying these drones? Somebody tell me. We're going to find you, Tommy. We know it's you. (laughs) Senator Cory Gardner gets on the case. Like, the Senate is in on it. They're making official inquiries. This is all this month. Like, this this Mm -hmm. most recent week. Um, In the New York Times, um, the sheriff is like, there's a lot of theories going on. But at this point, that's all they are. We just don't know what's going on. And it's an intrusion of privacy. And it's really freaky. The Denver Post called and got denials of responsibility from the FAA, the U.S. Air Force, the Defense the DARPA, Department of Defense, EPA, North, NORAD, the DEA, the U.S. Army, Fort Carson, Intel, Amazon, and CU Boulder. All of them are like, it's not us. Did they call the goddamn president who just does whatever the fuck he wants right now? <laughs> That's the thing. Private drone companies. Even if it happens. Oh, I'll distract them with this assault. No. Private this assault missile, and then they'll never catch my drones. Private drone Could companies be. who track these things are like, yeah, they're flying there. We don't know who's doing it, though. We don't know who owns it, right? So then this Fox 2 News in Denver uh, got this story and started, interviewed this guy named Mike Wynn. CEO of San Francisco-based Drone Deploy. So uh, they make the software in the drones that kind of tracks them. Uh, and they're like asking him, like, why would somebody be flying drones over uninhabited farmland? Mm-hmm. He's like, ah, they're probably just trying to get a bird's eye view of some space. Probably some farmers doing some like yeah. survey stuff. But like the 14,000 people who live there are all like, it ain't me, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but his quotes are great. He's like, this is very normal. People are doing a million flights with our software every year. We're growing a lot and, uh, drones are flying all the time. Nothing unusual about drones being flown. And they're like, well, this seems unusual. He's like, ah, it's probably just a bunch of hobbyists flying around perfectly legal. Get used to this stuff. (laughs) It's growing really fast. It's saving lives and helping American businesses be more efficient. So... My number one suspect is that guy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's acting yeah. way too casual about these crazy cookie, the FBI and Senate want to know who's flying them drones. So more on the mysterious drone swarms. As of today, Ooh. the Colorado Springs Gazette uh, talked to Air Force Global Strike Command based in Louisiana 
and they confirmed that they are conducting counter drone exercises out of the Air Force Base in Cheyenne, Wyoming, which is kind of in that area. But they don't think it's, they're like these, you know, we're not not saying these are our drones. We're just saying, yes, we do anti-drone stuff because people have been flying drones into the White House Mm -hmm. and somebody used drones to drop bombs on Philadelphia recently. I don't know if you saw that. Mm -mm. Yeah, somebody dropped some bombs out of drones. Yeah. Um, So they have been developing this anti-drone technology for a while and um, they're still like, yeah, we can't confirm or deny those are our drones. Um. But Lisa Meserve, who handles federal sales for this Lisa. program called D Drone, just D-drone. like a, the yeah, I don't know. Come on, <laughs> Undrone is the contractor for this like anti-drone technology at some company called D Drone. Uh, she's like, yeah, they love flying. They just get a little cheap drones off Amazon and fly it. See, test our software all the time. It's probably just that they're probably just testing the software. No, there's fucking nuclear shit over there. Yeah, right? Well, exactly. <laughs> so the Gazette oh, did a little bit more digging. Into it. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, the Gazette did a little bit more digging. It turns out the area that the drones are just swarming all over mm-hmm. is the area where there are how many Minutemen nuclear silos buried in undisclosed locations? Hundreds. For... People like me, what is a minute men? This goddamn episode isn't going to air. We're all going to be fucking dead. <laughs> okay, so these are the ones we made against the Russians. They're okay. in the middle of like Wyoming, so Nebraska, Cold Colorado, style. Cold War style underground silos that we can just open up a little hatch and shoot nuclear weapons at Russia okay. from. These are the big ones. These Got are the it. bombs that we use to scare everybody. Okay. They're in the area. Mm-hmm. There's drones swarming around them from like Thanksgiving to Christmas. They've been dying oh. off lately. They, in fact, they died off altogether. The drones that would have been there to test the anti-drone technology mm-hmm. stopped flying mm-hmm. the day. Mm-hmm. Guess who mm-hmm. did what? Mm-hmm. <gasps> yes. Can I guess? Uh-huh. Is it the day that Donald Trump mm-hmm. sent a missile mm-hmm. over to Iran mm-hmm. and killed that? All of a sudden, we weren't testing the general area of the nuclear weapons anymore because we didn't want anybody to know where they are. Uh, yeah, but, but we were testing the ass- hell out of anti-drone technology in the area just yeah. in case somebody tried to take one Come out back at us. Exact somebody who maybe mm. doesn't have a nuclear weapon yet, but knows that we. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so. That's kind of where things sit right now. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. With the drone swarms. So stay tuned on the drone swarms. Nothing to, you know, lose sleep over. I'm sure it's all fine. I, it's probably just know, hobbyists that flying around like perfectly legal. In a video game. Get used to it. Like post-apocalyptic <laughs> video game and drones are coming to attack you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, mm, I'm convinced. I'm so fucking. Are you into it? I've been so fucked up for a week over this shit. I'm I'm almost mad that that's your story. All right. So, but so I'm also very proud of myself for being like nuclear weapons. That's what this is about. The Phillips County Sheriff, who's the one who is raising the alarm, getting the governor and the senator on the case to say, "Can you please figure out who's flying these drones? It's just annoying everybody, and we're a little mm-hmm. like scared." 
yesterday, quote, we believe, the Phillips County Sheriff, quote, we believe that the drones, though startling, are not malicious in nature. <laughs> Carry on, everybody. It's fine. <laughs> you dumb fuck. <laughs> the sheriff's office is following up on leads, but we believe that this is just innocent behavior. Yeah, and in three days, they're going to be like, well, that sheriff was spotted playing golf with fucking Donald Trump. Exactly. How weird. Why and does he care about that guy? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jesus, fuck. Yeah. All right. That's crazy That's my to story. think about. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about this lovely woman. Her name is Hannah Up. She was born in 1985 in Oregon to the dot. She's the daughter of two Methodist ministers party. Um, <laughs> 1985. Yeah. 85. Hell of a good year. Oh, yep. Yeah. Good year for bitches. Mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so both of her parents grew up in America and are, are American and she grew up in America, but they her parents spoke like fluent Japanese. And so they were priests they and like went to Japanese American churches. And that's mm. where they served as pastors. Um, and her mom had taught in Japan at different points. Uh, so as she's growing up, her parents kind of, start to distance themselves from each other. Um, her dad went on a mission and decided that he was unhappy with the way the church was going in America and just in general. And he decided that his take was way more like anti-homosexuality and he got kind of into being really shitty about that and that's where he went mm-hmm. and I thought you were gonna say you being uh really gay <laughs> <laughs> right i wish um so it was in the philippines he uh believed homosexuality was unnatural and started to preach that and hannah was 15 when this is happening and she's kind of coming into her own and realizing that maybe she is interested in women. Um, And so it kind of makes her a little turned off by her dad. But um, like I said, he's in the Philippines and has been for a while. She's living in America and she's like, fine, I'll see you once a year and I'll never let you know that I'm possibly, you know, Mm -hmm. dating women. Mm. Um, she goes to... We all got a story we could love. Yeah. Week. She starts going... She goes to uh, Pennsylvania Seven Sisters School in 2007 and moves to New York City. Seven of them? I'll be there. Yeah, right? Wait, you mean like the Seven Sisters, like the Ivy League? Uh it just says the I mean, Pennsylvania Seven Sisters School. That well, makes me think, yes, because this, it's anything in the Northeast is Ivy League. Yeah, the the Seven Sisters were the I the like the right Wellesley female, and yeah counterparts. Yeah, so which is the one in Pennsylvania? Mm, Bryn Mawr? No. Yes, Bryn Mawr. Bryn Mawr. Yeah. All right. So nailed it. Good job. <laughs> Thanks. Our lesbian. I know where lesbians go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Oh, man. God damn. So 
she's a good person. She's always, obviously she grew up in a household where there's like a lot of worship and a lot of devotion to like a higher thinking, if anything. Um, she's working as a teacher and she was volunteering with AIDS organizations while she's getting her master's degree in education. Mm-hmm. Um, she had like, obviously an openness to different cultures and had traveled around the world. Um, she's she's just that type of person. Um, at age 23, she starts teaching public school as a middle school teacher in Harlem at Thurgood Marshall Academy. Mm. Um, everybody really likes her, and she is, yeah, she's just, the students like her. Um, and then... In September of 2028, or 2028, in the future. That's the conspiracy part. In September 2008, Hannah doesn't show up for the first day of class. And people are like, that's fucking weird. Um, She left her New York apartment. Sorry, now y'all can hear the ice maker as well. Um, She had left her apartment earlier to go for a run and she never came back. Uh, This becomes a high profile missing persons case because it's a young white woman Um, (laughs) and people are looking for her everywhere. Friends, classmates, people are searching. There's signs all over. Um, So 10 days after she's disappeared, somebody sees her at an Apple store. And they come up to her and they're like, oh, my God, Hannah, are you Hannah? Like that missing woman? And she's like, no, I'm not Hannah. Get away from me. I don't know what you're talking about. An Apple store? And like brushes it off. Who notices anyone in an Apple store? I mean, she was everywhere. Be dazzled by the products. Yeah. (laughs) Also, like everyone there works there. Uh, Yeah. So (laughs) she says, no, I'm not Hannah. But while this person is there, um... Hannah logs into one of their computers that they have on display or whatever with her own Apple ID (laughs) and security footage shows her in the store and the person talking to her that she brushes off. Um, Later on, she's also spotted at a Starbucks and she uses her gym pass at a gym called New York Sports Club uh, and authorities, every time this has happened, they've been notified, but just can't seem to get there in time to grab this girl and see if she is in fact Hannah. It's so like, it's like the lamest, slowest catch me if you can. I know. No. So it's been like 22 days and this New York Harbor, she's pulled from New York Harbor by a Staten Island ferry. What? They found her floating face down in the water. And the guy who was the captain of the boat was like, I I thought it was a dead body. Like, eh, here's a dead body. And they pulled her out and she was still alive. <gasps> she has hypothermia and she's very disoriented, but she's alive. And I bet she knew where some fucking gardens were and some fucking buried ass Egypt shit. A little Hell bit. Yeah. So <laughs> she comes out of it and 
she's in the hospital and she's talking to her mom and the doctor and they're like, what the fuck is happening? Where have you been? And she's like, I don't know. I can't remember anything. I remember being at home and then I woke up in this water. So she didn't remember going to the gym. No, she didn't remember being at the Apple store. She didn't remember anything that has happened over the past three weeks. Um, she tried, they hypnotized her trying to like maybe recover some lost memory and that doesn't really work. Her mom said she woke up at one point in the hospital, like in the middle of her sleep and said, I was at a lighthouse and like passed back out. And the next morning her mom was like, Hey, you said this in the middle of the night. What does it mean? And she was like, I don't remember that at all. And so doctors start to, you know, talk to her trying to figure out what's going on. And they diagnose her with a or not a symptom, uh, something called dissociative fugue, which is when people lose some or all memory of their past and disappear from their usual environments, leaving their family and job and life behind. This is what Walter White and Agatha Christie both claimed happened. This is also nicknamed uh, Jason Bourne syndrome. <laughs> Cute. Because yeah. of the Bourne whatever. But he is fictional. People also think that, or they haven't come out and straight up said that Bourne, the name Bourne, is from this. But the first recorded case of dissociative fugue was this guy named Ansel Bourne. B-O-U-R-N-E, just like the show, uh, uh, back in the 1800s where he, like, got up one day, left his town and went from Providence, Rhode Island and continued until he reached Norriston, Pennsylvania. He set up shop as a stationer and confectioner used using the name A.J. Brown. Hmm. And wow. then on March 14th, so a few months later, he woke up not knowing where he was. He thought it was still January and he went like over to the nearest person he could find, which was his landlord. And he's like, hey, where am I? And he's like, hey, you're in Pennsylvania, AJ. And he's Sorry. like, uh, my name's Ansel and... I am not in Pennsylvania. Anyways, that's the first one that was ever recorded. Um, so back to it. Lots of people experience dissociative fugue. And a lot of times it happens after something like her horribly traumatic. Like, um, you know, like being raped or like mm -hmm. some something. Usually it's something really, really bad or something internally that you're just you just shut down completely. Suppression, yeah. yeah. So um, they didn't they couldn't figure out any of Hannah's real triggers other than um, the fact that she was very nervous about the school year starting and she I think kind of suppressing probably her sexual identity from her father kind of added to it mm -hmm. um but she just didn't really have any super strong triggers she tried to talk about it with her friends 
after not being really able to explain it to any psychiatrists and said, there's no, I, it felt like the words we have in English in the English language were not sufficient to describe the feeling. Um, she told a reporter in 2009 and she uses like a lot, so I apologize. It goes from like going to a run to like being in the ambulance. For me, that was like 10 minutes past, but it was actually like three weeks. The hardest part is the period right after. You feel shame. You feel embarrassed. You feel guilt. All things that I've definitely felt. It's weird how, how you feel guilty. How do you feel guilty for something you didn't even know you did? It's not your fault, but it is still somehow. So definitely made me reconsider everything, who I was before, who I was then. Is this part of me? Who am I now? So she's dealing, right? But right. she's like, I'm not going to let this define me. I'm okay. Like, I'm leaving New York. It's but I also don't know how to define yeah. me. <laughs> kind of. So she moves out in 2010 into Philadelphia and she starts working at a Quaker study and retreat. Um, she meets a guy named Patrick Roselle, Rose, Russell there. And, uh, they kind of date a little bit and he viewed her previous incident or her fugue incident as like a freak accident. Hmm. He said he thought that Hannah is one of those people that gives so much to other people that at a certain point there's nothing left and that's what happened and she just checked she snapped, out. Yeah. Yeah. So she moves to Maryland in September 2013. Not dating that dude anymore. It was whatever. Um and experiences another bout of dissociative fugue that lasts two days. And guess what? It was happening right before she was supposed to start teaching again that same school year. Okay. Um, but this time it's only two days. So she wanders through the city that she lived in and she comes to in a creek next to a shopping cart. So she's in the water, again. like submerged in water again. And she's, next to this shopping cart and she like comes out of it and finds someone and borrows their phone and calls her mom. Oh, yeah. Um, so the common things are it's before something stressful is about to happen and she's coming to when she's submerged in water. Um, some people have drawn like a more religious conclusion that there's like parallels between baptism and, her being mm. in water, no, submerged, no. you know. You're not supposed to drown the baby. No. Yeah. During a baptism. Also, what a shitty way to wake up. <laughs> yeah, soaking Gross. wet and Underwater. Freezing. Yeah. Next to a shopping cart. Yeah. Damp hair and dirt. Very homelessy sounding. Mm. So in twenty fourteen, Hannah's like, I need to start completely over. I'm moving to St. Thomas to work at a Montessori school. Um, so, hey, St. Thomas, Virgin Islands, it's like paradise, beautiful. Surrounded by water. Yeah, surrounded by water. <laughs> um, so she's super into Montessori. Like, she's obsessed with the woman who created Montessori. And Maria the, Montessori. Yeah, the teaching ideals behind it. Mm -hmm. uh, she visited her 
grave, I think, at one point. Like, she loves Montessori work. She knows that this is her calling. She wants to do that. Um, but guess what happens to the St. Thomas Islands? They get hit by a giant fucking hurricane. Um, so the hurricane happens. The island is basically destroyed. She said she woke up and the island was all of a sudden just completely brown because leaves have been stripped, sands are, you know, the shit's fucked up. Um, this was recently, right? Yeah, it was, it was recently. Let me double check because there are two hurricanes. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's Hurricane Irma is the first one. Right. Didn't Hurricane that hit Florida too, I think? Or maybe not. Um, that was September 2017. And it struck Leeward Islands and some other ones. The Florida Keys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the one that Trump drew the map. No, that was more recent. I don't remember. The, the, yeah, it was a mess. Anyways, okay, so sorry. Hurricane Irma causes... Tons and tons and tons of damage. They're trying to rebuild. Everything's weird on the island. Um, she goes at one point to like visit with this guy she had dated for a little bit who's like a scuba diver instructor, and they talk, and he's taking... They had been sending these things that they called mercy boats or mercy rides um, to the island to like take people to a mainland to get off the island so they could you know be evacuated post-hurricane. Um, and he's like, come with me. And she's like, no, I have to stay here. This is my place. It's my home. And I have to help rebuild. But there's another hurricane coming. Uh, which fucking sucked. So, uh, a f- it literally like five days later, there's a second hurricane. Seriously? Oh my yeah. God. And, um, which hurricane was that? Sorry. I'm going to look it up. I have so many windows up. Hurricane Maria, Category 5 storm. It's hitting the island. She says goodbye to her boy f- or her ex guy. And he's like, all right, well, you do you. Uh, she goes back to the Montessori school and starts kind of prepping for the second hurricane. She's helping this woman um, named Norma Bollinger board up stuff take stuff off the walls and norma said she seemed really weird that day everything she asked her to do she kept saying yes norma yes norma instead Mm -hmm. of like making conversation and she was normally very like inquisitive and wouldn't necessarily answer yes norma every time oh it's like norma's name was her touchstone oh Oh, wow guess who goes to therapy every week (laughs) It's me. Um, yeah, her. She lived with three roommates, and all of them that night are like, "Hey, we're gonna leave the island because this is dangerous." And she's like, "I'm gonna stay. It's where my heart is." Um, the following day, she doesn't show up at school. Her roommates had seen her heading to her car that morning to go to the school, but she never got there. Uh, The following day is a faculty meeting that she did not show up to. And 
her friend Maggie calls her closest friends on the island and in the States. And it turns out no one has spoken to Hannah for three days. Um, this is also the same time of year as the previous two fugues she experienced. Hmm. So after talking to her friends on the island, uh, Maggie is like, y'all need to start looking at bodies of water. Like that's where she always ends up. You have to find her. But what ends up happening is that the fucking hurricane hits. (laughs) After three days, they have to call off the search because Hurricane Maria is coming and what a bitch yeah well and it's like oh of course they're spending all this hurricane prep time looking for this one woman mm-hmm. on these islands um she the hurricane hits no one can find hannah everything's fucked her mom is like that's it i'm coming mm-hmm. down and her mom comes down they search everywhere nobody can find anything until her friends are like, well, she liked this one kind of tea bar or whatever on the beach. And they go there and they find her like the people who had worked there had found this like folded up like a dress and car keys and uh, something else. And they kept it. And when her mom goes looking for them, they're like, hey, here's this. We found this. Is it hers? And she's like, yes, that's hers. And they find her car and her car is abandoned and it has like her wallet and other Hmm. belongings in it. So she doesn't have her car. She doesn't have her phone. She doesn't have anything. Wherever she is, she's gone. And her mom is like, well, fuck, how are we going to do this? Like they get helicopters searching. They search the manifests of people who had left the island on the mercy rides and no, nothing there. There are 10 unclaimed bodies after the hurricanes. None of them are Hannah. Um, her mom just spent, spends forever trying to find her. She said, There's never an option to give up. Hope is persistent and many people join her in that hope. Um, People say they don't think she ever ended up going out to the water because if she had, like, everything comes back to the island. Dead bodies float. They come back to the island Mm -hmm. and nothing like that happened. Hmm. So that was the end of 2017 and they still haven't found anything on hannah up so she's been gone for like oh that's it she's yeah two ish years now she is 33 34 hmm. um if she's still alive but if you have any information you can call 724-591-0675 because you never know there are though the virgin islands are pretty small um there are little like I don't want to call them tribes, but just different places where a person could kind of disappear if they wanted to. Right. So people don't know. Nobody knows what happened to her. Did anybody check the um, Apple store in St. Thomas? I don't know. <laughs> it was probably the first thing they went. Yeah. But yeah. I can't tell which one is her. They're all wearing the same shirt. <laughs> Dissociative fugue. It's almost kind of like a people compare it to like dissociative 
disorder, like uh, multiple, multiple personality. personality. Cause yeah. You're, yeah. Yeah. But the difference is, is that Hannah described or Hannah kind of described it as like, it's not that you're taking on a personality. It's just that there isn't mm-hmm. a you. And a yeah. psychiatrist was like, I don't, I can't think of how a person can exist in the world without some form of identity. Yeah. Like, I, how can you think without it? So, I don't know. Weird to think about. Yeah. I feel bad for her mom. But her dad, yeah, her dad, I don't even know if he came back. He's been over in the Philippines doing, like, his mission forever. And <laughs> his daughter's surviving yeah, the two yeah, costliest hurricanes mm-hmm. in U.S. history. Yep. Getting cigarettes. <laughs> Probably. Well, in the Philippines, yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. Smoke them up. Believe in God. Smoke them while you got them. <laughs> well, I think we learned a lot. <laughs> yeah we're all good gonna one. fucking die yeah, yeah i feel super doomed after this episode like, yeah this... the only happy story is that maybe maybe in five thousand years you'll come back as an irish woman mm. and then get buried in the sand somewhere Just facing west <laughs> thanks unmarked sand, sand. <laughs> if you put me facing west you could have stuck a a wood marker in the ground an onk or something <laughs> Oh, why didn't they? Yeah. Fucked up. We'll make a shrine to her. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we'll write a whole book about it. And then, yeah, like, put it up in a drum. Now, someone will be like, this was the religion (laughs) (laughs) of this planet that Mm -hmm. killed itself. Yep. All right. Don't kill yourself. Yeah. That's the real lesson. Live forever. Live until the end of the universe, which is forever. Sure. Yep. Okay, bye. Bye.